So what I want to do is I want to share with you all, hopefully, uh, rather briefly, the, the adult version of the story uh, of what we just covered. I, 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 you know, I, I use the word story, but really it's an account. It's not a story. It's not a myth. And as we go through this tonight, I hope that you can engage with this material in a fresh and unique way, and you can hear it with fresh ears, and that it doesn't become just a common thing and an ordinary thing and just the Christmas story that we put up with because it's Christmas Eve, but it's something that you can engage with and hopefully end up walking away with application for your own life and maybe a little bit more in love with God than when you came. The Christmas story didn't uh, end 2,000 years ago. It really, it really picked up 2,000 years ago. It was, a, it was a milestone in the in the narrative of life. God created man with the intent that we would know him, we would walk with him, and we would love him. That was his desire for us. His desire was also that we would live forever and we'd walk with him forever. And death was never a part of his plan. Cancer and sickness and wickedness was never a part of his desire. Like many of us in this room, the first people made the wrong choice. And we call that wrong choice sin. And sin is devastating the world, and it's continued to devastate the world. All the pain, the sickness, the loss, the heartache, the things that were never a part of God's plan is the effects of that sin. Society and the world has been degrading since that moment because when man sinned, even the earth was cursed with it. Before I get... You know what, let's, um, before I go any further, let's, let's, let's go ahead and look at, uh, look at our scripture. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and it's going to be up on the screen and so you can follow along. The book of Luke was written, we believe, by a man named Luke. That's pretty, pretty helpful. And um, it's nice when the Bible's like real clear, right? And you're like, hey, I understand that. So if you, if you get nothing else, Luke was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a physician. And it was his goal to write the book of Luke in such a way that he gave a clear and complete story or account of, of the life of Jesus, why, who he was, why he came, and what he did, and what the proper response would be to the fact that he came. And so what Luke was trying to do is make sure that people understood, and he was writing for people that didn't have a Jewish background and might not have uh, picked up the little nuances that the, the Jewish writers were picking up on. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 2, not out loud like the Advent. I'll read it and you can read along quietly. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the the house and the family David. Basically, that's just saying, if you've heard of King David, King David, it was promised to him that there was going to be a king that sat on the throne forever, and it was going to come from his line. It was going to be in his ancestry. And so it's important that Joseph is in David's line, and and that's why he's going to Bethlehem. That's going to matter in just a few minutes in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him. Mary was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and lied him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. In the same region were some uh, shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
The shepherds were terribly frightened, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good news of great joy, which it will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to each other, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. They told Joseph and Mary, hey, angels just appeared to us. And they told us this, and that's why we're here today. And that's, that's what we're doing here. It says, all who heard this statement wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured these things in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and uh, heard and seen, just as had been told them. Jesus, we ask that you would teach us today, that you would instruct us today, that you would inspire us today, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to highlight three things today that, uh, from this story to help us understand the nature of God and what his plan was and what his plan is for us today and some practical things we can do to cooperate with that. It had been prophesied, like I said earlier, that the Messiah was going to come through the line of David. And it was going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, the only problem is that doesn't make any sense. Bethlehem was a small town. It was an insignificant town. It was an unimportant town. Why would the Messiah come from there? To make it even worse, Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary had no business being in Bethlehem. They had no reason to be there, naturally. But then the Romans decreed that there needed to be this census and they needed to go back to the home of their ancestors. And that's why Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem. So the first point I want to make is this, that God is sovereign in all things. God will use absolutely everything at his disposal to accomplish his will. I mean everything. I mean, God is... Actually, here, I want to, I want to thank you for that. I want, to, I want to coach everybody real quick. Um, at Grace Covenant, you know, sometimes, like, the kids did a great job. Like, I'd ask a question, and they're like, yeah, animals, right? And, like, it'd be weird for us adults to do that, so I'm not asking you to do that. But if, if you hear something and you agree with it, you can feel free to say amen, right? Or like, hey, that's good, yeah, or go ahead and preach, right? If I get really going, and then we can, then we can do that. Can we, can we go ahead and practice that? So I'll just say, I'll just say, um, man, we serve a good God. And then you say... Amen. There we go. And then I'm like, come on, we serve a good God. And then, and then we serve a good God. You know, and then we, then we figure out who we, I just got to figure out who we got in here tonight. So, all right. So we get Reggie up here. We could start having some church. No, it's great. So feel free to say amen. It'll help me because I'll know that you're with me. Um, I remember the first time I said amen, I was terrified. Um, I was sitting next to some people who never spoke in church. And, and Pastor Brett gave an exhortation similar to the one I just gave. And, and I remember being like, amen. You know, and I was just, I was like, whew. My heart was beating so fast. And I was like, wow, that was exhilarating. And, you know, I got kind of hooked on it. And then, but I, I learned quickly that you have to pay attention to what's being said. Because every once in a while, the pastor will bait you. And he'll say something not true. And you're like, hey, hey, come on. And he's like, and that's not true. You know, and. 
Man, that's embarrassing. So, so just, you know, don't get carried away. Just keep up with me. Pay attention and, and we'll do this together. <laughs> we'll work it out, right? God will use absolutely everything at his disposal to accomplish his will. And I mean everything. And this is where it gets, like, careful with the amens because, it, <laughs> because it's the good stuff and the bad stuff that God will use to move us and to accomplish his will. Do you mean that God will use bad things to accomplish his will? Yes, and I know it sounds trite, and I know it sounds religious and hyper-spiritual, but God's greater good is beyond what we can understand sometimes at that moment. Some of the sweetest times in life and some of the sweetest and most important and significant things that happen in our life happen in the darkest times, don't they? A tree throws its roots down into the dirt when in a time of drought. And what happens as a result of that, when the water does come, it's got more nutrients and more minerals to bear greater fruit when the water does come. And our life is very much the same way. God deals with us very much in the same manner. God will use absolutely everything at his disposal to accomplish his will. This is the confusing thing about the sovereignty of God because we don't always feel it. It's a lot like air. Right? It's everywhere. God's sovereignty is everywhere. It's on everything. It's in everything. It's through everything. That we don't know how to recognize it sometimes. Now with air, when was the last time you thought about breathing air outside of right now? Right? Probably when you're driving down the street and you smell the skunk and you're like, man, this air is awful. Right? Or the garbage is stinking. And, and you're like, man, that's awful. What, y'all's garbage doesn't stink? <laughs> People are like, nah. <laughs> When the garbage stinks, you're like, man, this air is, is gross. This air is bad. And that makes you aware of it. Our life and the way God's sovereignty works is very much the same way. We don't even understand God's moving or doing something until we don't like it. When the air is really sweet, when you came in this evening, we have cookies baking in the lobby so that you smell something pleasant because teenagers and cafeteria food is not exactly pleasant. Right? Stale cafeteria food, right? No knock on the public schools. Um, but that's how God's sovereignty works, and that's how our life works. And so we don't always recognize it because it's always operating. And we forget in the sweet moments that it's operating, and we forget in the, in the hard moments that it's operating. We want to reject it in the hard moments, and we want to take credit for the goodness in the good moments. But God is sovereign in all of it, and we need to remember that. In this case, God used the Romans. It was an occupying force. It was a, it was a violent force. It was, it, the Jews weren't under the rule of the Romans on purpose. The Romans were conquering everything and they were underneath it and they had no choice. And yet God used the Romans. He used this census to accomplish something that God said was going to happen thousands of years before that had no good business happening. Doesn't that baffle you a little bit? It gets me excited. I'm like, God, you could use the Roman government to make something that shouldn't have happened happen by moving people to a place they shouldn't be for, for no other reason other than a census told and called by Rome. This is remarkable. You're not here tonight on accident. I don't know if you got a postcard or you want to see a camel or your family dragged you in here. But in the sovereignty of God, you're here tonight. In his love, in his mercy, in his compassion, in his desire to demonstrate that to you, he drew you here tonight. 
You're not here in, in, in broader than tonight. You're not where you are on accident. You're not in Northern Virginia on accident. You're not wherever your home is on accident, but God has led you and steered you and guided you to this place so that he could accomplish something in you and hopefully through you. The second observation I want us to make tonight is that God births things in places that we overlook and we don't see the value in. Bethlehem was not significant to anybody except for maybe the people living there. What a humble birthplace for Jesus to be in. His birth was virtually unannounced at that spot if you were looking at this level. But what a lot of people missed was that a star was taking its place up in the heavens, also fulfilling a prophecy that was made thousands of years ago. This star was seen by the Magi. You know the story, we three kings of Orient are, right? The, the reason that, yeah, come on. <laughs> no, we want them to stay. <laughs> Maybe come back even. The song is about these, these, these astronomers who were watching the sky and they had heard this, this prophecy and they had heard that the star was going to align a certain way to announce the birth of a king. And everybody missed it but these guys. It actually took them several years to get there because they were so far away. And so when you see the wise men standing there with baby Jesus, that nativity is lying. I'm just kidding. It's not that serious. Yeah. Forget, some of y'all don't know me and I like to play. But Jesus, Jesus was born in a place, a promise was brought to fulfillment in a place that nobody would have expected it to be. That there was no business in it, being, in it happening there. But immediately, some things were put in motion. And the angels went out and announced it to the shepherds. Now, shepherds are, again, another group of people who are insignificant in the culture. You know, it's not like, it's, it's, I'm trying to think of what a good example would be. These are, they're country, right? You were a shepherd because you couldn't work in the city. You with me a little bit? They ended their sentences. They'd be like, hey, let's go get those sheep. You know, and <laughs> they were country. You with me? Sorry, if you're country. And you end your sentences by saying, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> wow, that was offensive. Merry Christmas. Stick with me. Don't get lost. But he picked people who, who had no business being the ones to announce it. You know, a lot of the people that God chooses are not the people of significance and prominence. What God looks for is people who are willing. And then the angels came down, they announced this thing, and I imagine they looked at each other like, did we just, did that just happen? And then, for whatever reason, the prompting of God, or just their faith, or just their willingness to jump in, they, were, they set their minds to it, and they were like, we better go check this out. We know what we're looking for. We're looking for a baby in a manger. That doesn't make any sense. Let's go. And they went for it. And so, if you're willing, if you're willing 
to step in, to respond to the voice of God, to step out in faith and to accept the truth that Jesus came and lived for you and died on your behalf. If you're willing to be led and guided by him to pray for that person, to give to that need, to pull over and help that person, to pause from life and engage people who have needs. God's willing to use you. I'm not sure what things are in your life that you feel like disqualify you from from being loved by or used by God. But I promise you, the love of God overcomes all of those things. There's no good reason for any of us to be used. The Bible makes it clear that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you don't believe it, just just babysit a one-year-old. Right? Or when a kid starts walking, right? All four of my kids, and I know it was the same for me, but all four of my kids, it's always a showdown over the outlets. Don't stick your finger in the outlet. And it's like, watch me. It's like I said, don't stick your finger in the Watch me. And it's a showdown. And, and you know, like we're like, oh, well, they're just asserting themselves. They're going to be leaders. Well, <laughs> you know, like sit them in timeout. You ever sat at six months, like an eight-month-old or a 12-month-old in timeout? How well does that work? Because there's rebellion in, in our hearts. Whether you believe in original sin or not, we're, we're all guilty of sinning. We're all guilty of rebellion. So none of us are qualified to carry out, on behalf of God, His perfect plan. Except God's sovereignty leading it. Except for God's love covering it. I did miss one thing. I misstated one thing to the kids. I said that, you know, we do these bad things and, and God covers it and it's like we've never done it. It's actually, it's better than that. The, 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 the theological term is, it's justification. And if you imagine every bad thing that you've done being a minus sign, being wiped away, that's just as if I had never done it. Right? But, but God didn't stop at just wiping it away and making it just as if we had never done it. He took the negatives and he said, no, 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 when I look at you, I see righteousness. When I look at you, I see purity. When I look at you, I see holiness. And so those negatives become positives and he looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus when he looks down on us. It's not just as if I had never done it. It's just as if I had never done it and I did extraordinary things. Because every wrong thing, every sinful thought, every sinful motivation, every every cuss word I've uttered. (gasps) Pastor. (laughs) Right? Is wiped away and we're righteous in the sight of God. But we're not disqualified. I'm not sure that I would have chosen the time or the place that God chose to birth his son. To come and take on flesh. I, I wouldn't have chosen it. I would have chosen a time with air conditioning and Marriott's. And booking ahead. Right? Reward points. Or airplanes. Right? That's, what, that's the time I would have chosen. A stable isn't the place that I would have chosen, and it's a good thing I'm not God. Because he did it in such a way to tell us that he uses the most insignificant things. He uses broken things. He uses lost things. He uses lost people, small people, quiet people. You're not disqualified. The last point I want to make is this. The birth of Jesus brought resolution to a promise that had been made thousands of years before. 
but it's not the end of the matter. When God births something, he's always starting something. Right? The prophecies were made that Jesus was going to come in a certain way. He was going to come in a certain city. He was going to be born of a virgin. I shared this a couple weeks ago, but some statisticians figured out that the, the, the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies that were made about him is the equivalent of covering the state of Texas in silver dollars and it three feet deep, painting one of them red and sending somebody out blindfolded to go pick out the red one. It's not possible. So that's what Jesus fulfilled when he was born in Bethlehem of a virgin and satisfied other requirements through, through his life, not, not just with the birth, but in the things that he did, healing people, and then the way he died as well, and the resurrection. But it's impossible for it to have happened any other way. But some things were set into motion when the Savior was born. Those shepherds who came, their lives were never the same. Their lives were, were never the same. And, and they were in that moment and they went and they, they were like, Mary, Joseph, this is going to sound nuts. We were out in the field. We see your babies in the manger. This is what we heard. They said that it's this way. <laughs> you know, can you bear with us? And Mary had an idea. And Joseph also had an idea because they had already been told this by other angels. And Joseph's wife was pregnant, not by him. And she was a virgin, right? So they had pretty good evidence that the shepherds weren't just, you know, smoking hay. But they were out there, and, and then they said this, and then it says they left, and they, and they marveled. How does, how does it say it? It says, so they, wandered, uh, they wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. Um, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as God had told them. One of the most remarkable things is when we get to see the things that we hear about come into actual fruition. When you see that, that the pastor wasn't crazy when he said God's kind of this, the sweetest growth and the sweetest births and the sweetest moments can come out of the darkest times when you see it happen. Some of the sweetest things are when you hear a word from God and, and you hear something from the Bible and you're like, I wonder, could this even be true? I hope it's true. I'm sure the shepherds were scared to death. Like, this is nuts. Like, we're going to walk in here and, you know, they don't really, and we're looking for a baby in a manger. Like, uh, God, they're going to reject us. I don't even know what to, well, how do, I, how do I do this? Have you ever heard something and you hoped it was true and you didn't see it? And you got heart sick and you got disappointed? And you forgot? Or maybe you shove it down and you're like, you know what, I don't even want to see it. I don't even want to see it anymore. I don't even want to experience it. Even if it is true, I'm not sure if I even want it. I encourage you, if that's you tonight, get back into this thing. Grab onto that thing from the Bible. Grab onto that thing from the Word. Grab onto that thing. You can talk to somebody here tonight. You can come forward and we'll, we'll have a couple of people who can pray with you and would love to just encourage, be an encouragement to you and stand with you and believe God with you. But don't let go of the promises of God. Just wait and see if the things that he said in the Bible are true. Their lives were changed forever. We know that the, the, the astronomers came out and their life was changed forever. God's hope in coming in that insignificant place, in that insignificant time, through insignificant people, being confirmed through insignificant people. Again, I said that it was missed at this level. 
But at the upward level, the angels were rejoicing. Because this is something that had been in the plan since eternity. I'm sure the angels were like, he's doing it. He's doing it. He did. He said he was going to do it. and he's, He's doing it. He did it. Look at that baby. Have you ever seen a baby so sweet? Right? And they're watching, and I'm sure they were marveling at, at what God was doing. And I'm sure there was a little bit of like, and they're missing it. They're missing it. They don't see it. They're so caught up on the fact that it's just Bethlehem, and it's just Joseph, and it's just Mary, and it's just shepherds, and it's just these crazy astronomers from another, from another culture. And they absolutely missed it. Because everybody was looking here instead of here. When God came down in Jesus, his goal was to birth something that was here and here at the same time. And he's inviting us into that today. The hope is that it was going to change lives. The hope is that, that we would receive his love. We would receive the message and the person of Christ and we would surrender to it. That we would accept it. That we would walk with him. We would study. You know, the sovereignty of God is so amazing that he lets us reject him. He lets us be angry at him. He lets us hate him even. Because he's a big God and he can handle it. He leaves us these breadcrumbs of hope. And he leaves us breadcrumbs of truth and breadcrumbs of prophecies fulfilled and breadcrumbs of hope and longing being fulfilled. He gives us these, these breadcrumbs of love and experience and that smile by that stranger and the high five and the handshake to say, hey, I'm here if you're looking for me. And the encouragement to all of us tonight, the encouragement for everybody in this room tonight, That if you've been looking for Jesus and you're here just because, but you've been looking for him and you've been hoping that it's true, I'm here to tell you that it's true. We can talk through the questions. We can talk through the doubts. We can engage at that level. I would love nothing more than to have a Bible study of people that aren't quite sure. That'd be the most remarkable thing probably I've ever done in my life. So if you're not quite sure, you can shake my hand outside and you know what? We look at the camel. (laughs) I'm so excited about the camel. You can shake my hand and you can say, hey, pastor, I heard what you said. I'm not quite sure. Let's get coffee. And I would love nothing more than that. Pastor, I heard what you said, but I'm hurt. I'm heart sick. I heard what you said, but I'm angry. I heard what you said, but I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm lost. I've been disappointed too many times. I don't know if I can trust this time. I want to encourage you that God brought you here to, to, to let you know that he loves you. And he came down, he gave up all his divine right to take the form of a baby and be led by people and trained by people. And a terrible irony, the same people who made it possible for Jesus to fulfill all of those prophecies, the Romans, they were the same people who killed him. Also to fulfill prophecies made. God will use the good but use the bad. None of it's over yet. At Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus took on skin and he lived among us. And that he gave us the greatest gift. He gave us himself. And he's still giving himself to anybody who's willing to accept it.
He's no watchmaker. He didn't set thing, he didn't create it, wind it up and let it go. And he came to live among us and be among us and now he gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us hope. He gives us joy as a reminder that he's ever present. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us.